Welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Our guests today are from UMKC, the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where Dr. Claire Elson is a board-certified pediatric pharmacotherapy specialist and adjunct professor at the UMKC School of Pharmacy. Also with us is Dr. Christopher Orman, who's the Division of Pulmonary and Sleep Medicine Center Director, Cystic Fibrosis Care Center Director, and Professor of Pediatrics at the UMKC School of Medicine. And our topic is managing multidrug-resistant lung infections in patients with cystic fibrosis. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences, Vertex Pharmaceuticals, AbbVie, and GEC USA. Learning objectives for this audio program include describe the prevalence of resistant infections in people with CF and the clinical consequences of these infections, and identify the potential treatment strategies for the management of resistant infections in people with CF. Dr. Orman has disclosed that he has no relationship with any product or service relevant to today's discussion. Dr. Elson has disclosed that she has served as a pharmacist advisory board member for Vertex Pharmaceuticals and Gilead Sciences. Both our guests have indicated that they will be referencing the unlabeled or unapproved uses of a wide range of antimicrobial agents, including ceftazidime, colistamethate, miropenem, astringanam, piperacillin slash tazobactam, moxifloxacin, levofloxacin, aminoglycosides, including topramycin, gentamicin, and amicacin, tigecycline, and newer combination agents like ceftolazine tazobactam and ceftazidime avobactam. Dr. Orman, Dr. Elson, Thank you both for joining us today. Hi, Bob. It's good to be back with you. Thanks for having us. In your newsletter issue, doctors, you reviewed the recent evidence describing the epidemiology of multidrug-resistant organisms and the particular management challenges they pose in people with cystic fibrosis. What I'd like to do today is discuss how that information can impact clinical practice. So if you would, please, Dr. Elson, start us out with a patient scenario. A 12-year-old female with cystic fibrosis heterozygous F508-DEL and R347P presents to outpatient clinic for routine follow-up. She is at her baseline respiratory status with an FEV1 of 90% of predicted. She reports good adherence to her home respiratory treatment regimen, including bronchodilator therapy and sodium chloride 7%, followed by airway clearance twice daily and Dornase Alpha once daily. She is pancreatic sufficient and takes only an over-the-counter vitamin. Her routine sputum culture obtained during clinic grows Burkholderia multivorans for the first time. A Burkholderia infection. Dr. Orman, is that something you would attempt to eradicate? So, Bob, unlike initial pseudomonas infection, there isn't any evidence-based guideline for the eradication of other CF pathogens. Specifically, there's nothing for inherently resistant bacteria such as B. sapatia complex. So treatment strategies described in the literature are primarily case reports and case series, and these have reported limited success in eradicating new B. sapatia complex infection. So it's important that the risks and benefits of eradication strategies be discussed with the patient and her family. Treatment decisions should really be based on this conversation and be mutually agreeable to the entire team. So if the patient, the family, and the physician all agree to attempt eradication, what therapeutic options are available? Dr. Elson? Well, Bob, most of the recommendations for eradication of multidrug-resistant organisms, including Burkholderia cepatia complex, Acromobacter, and Stenotropomonas, 
come from expert opinion, published cases, as well as case series, and personal experience. Published literature describes the use of extended-duration systemic and or nebulized antimicrobial therapies. Potential options would include nebulized astreinium, nebulized topramycin, and the off-label administration of intravenous agents via nebulization, such as levofloxacin or ceftazidime. The duration of therapy in reported cases ranges from 28 days to six months or longer. Clinicians may also consider the addition of oral systemic therapy, such as trimethoprin, sulfamethoxazole, fluoroquinolones, or tetracycline therapy. Uh, these medications, can they be given at home, or does the patient need to be hospitalized for this therapy? Well, the potential therapy options can primarily be administered in the home setting. However, clinicians should also consider initial treatment with intravenous therapy in a hospital setting. Some potential intravenous therapies may include combinations of antimicrobials based on susceptibility testing results. And these can include agents such as carbapenems, cephalosporins, and perhaps pegocycline. In addition, some newer broad-spectrum antimicrobials, such as the beta-lactam, beta-lactamase combination products, have some efficacy against these multidrug-resistant infections. These include agents like ceftolazine, tazobactam, and ceftazidine, avibactam. After patients are treated with initial systemic treatment, a prolonged course of nebulized therapy should also be considered. I just want to remind listeners that these are suggested treatment strategies, and they're primarily based on minimal published literature as well as experience. As these multidrug-resistant infections are becoming more prevalent in the CF community, it is really imperative to develop consensus guidelines and recommendations for the treatment of these infections. You mentioned intravenous agents that have been used off-label as inhalation therapy. Can you provide us with some further detail on that, please? Absolutely. So intravenous ceftazidime and meropenem have both been used to treat emergent Burkholderia cepatia complex, and case reports have described variable treatment success with these therapies. However, the use of these medications can really be a challenge because IV formulations often require reconstitution of the dry powder before being nebulized, and furthermore, coverage of these medications can pose additional challenges. IV preparations are really not formulated for nebulization, and so there are many questions regarding the appropriate dose of these agents, safety, as well as the efficacy. This is why research into additional nebulized therapies is really so essential. We actually at this time have three approved products, including inhaled dextranium, inhaled tobramycin, and the recently improved liposomal amicacin, but clearly more are needed. Dr. Orman? Other considerations when using off-label medications? Well, there are several different considerations. The first is that we really have no idea what sort of dose would be appropriate for the use of these intravenous medications given via nebulizer. The other consideration is safety. And by safety, we're primarily concerned about bronchospasm secondary to irritation of the airways by these intravenous preparations. And then finally, we have no data whatsoever regarding efficacy of the different preparations that are being used. So those are the primary concerns with using any kind of off-label medications when delivered by nebulizer. One final question about this patient, Dr. Orman. If you attempt to eradicate the Burkholderia and that initial eradication strategy is unsuccessful, how would you move forward with the care of this patient? As we've heard, there aren't really any eradication guidelines based on evidence and there's even less available in terms of 
management of failed eradication therapy. With that in mind, we have even less information to inform decisions about how to proceed after failed eradication therapy. One thing to consider is that if initial eradication attempts only included nebulized treatment, consideration should be given to trying a combination of intravenous, oral, and inhaled agents during hospitalization. If this is the approach that's taken, intravenous medications could include newer antimicrobials such as ceftazidime, avibactam, tigacycline, and carbapenems. It's also important to remember that therapy needs to be optimized by using the use of extended infusions for time-dependent antimicrobials. Finally, if eradication still is not achieved, consideration really has to be given to initiating long-term management, possibly through continuous alternating antimicrobial therapy as a means of decreasing morbidity and mortality for individuals with either patient complex infection or other multidrug-resistant organism infection. Thank you for that case and discussion, doctors. And we'll return with Dr. Claire Elson and Dr. Christopher Orman in just a moment. You've been listening to a Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. If you're unfamiliar with our program, we're a combination newsletter and podcast continuing educational series. We're available online without cost or prerequisite. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review newsletters are published every other month. Each issue focuses on a specific area of importance in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis and is authored by an expert clinician who reviews the current literature and provides commentary. In the month following each newsletter, a case-based podcast discussion, like the one you've been listening to, focuses that expert perspective on translating the new information into clinical practice. Continuing education credit for E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information about E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, please go to our website, eCysticFibrosisReview.org. And if you're interested in additional CF programs, please visit dkbmed.com forward slash CF. And one more thing, if you've enjoyed this podcast and found the information useful, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that others can find it as well. Thank you. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. We've been talking with Dr. Christopher Orman from the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine, and Dr. Claire Elson from the UMKC School of Pharmacy about the clinical challenges of multidrug-resistant lung infections in patients with cystic fibrosis. So, to continue in that vein, uh, Dr. Orman, if you would please, bring us another patient scenario. Happy to, Bob. So you're seeing a 17-year-old young man who's homozygous for F508-DEL who's been admitted to the hospital for pulmonary exacerbation. He's got a history of chronic multidrug-resistant pseudomonas as well as methicillin-susceptible staph aureus infection. His home therapy includes continuous alternating inhaled antibiotic therapy with estreonam and tobramycin. He's currently on a tobramycin month. Your thoughts, Dr. Elson? Bob, I think this case really does a nice job demonstrating some important considerations for CF healthcare providers regarding multidrug-resistant infections in the CF community. We know from data from the CF Foundation Patient Registry that the prevalence of multidrug-resistant pseudomonas in CF individuals remains an issue. In addition, we know that other inherently resistant CF pathogens like Burkholderia cepacea, Acromobacter, and Sinotrophomonas are remaining stable or even increasing. 
Specifically, when we look at the prevalence of multidrug-resistant organisms like Pseudomonas, we know that 46% of people with CF are infected with Pseudomonas overall, and 18% of those are infected with a multidrug-resistant strain. In addition, the infection rate of methicillin-resistant Staph aureus has increased dramatically over the last 10 to 20 years. In 2002, for example, only 9.2% of people with CF were infected with methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. However, most recent data shows a prevalence rate of 26% of methicillin-resistant Staph aureus infections. Other intrinsically more resistant bacteria, like Cinnamoprophomonas, have infection rates between 9 and 13%, and Acromobacter is about 6%, and these have either remained steady or increased over time. And then when we look at Burkholderia cepatia complex, we know that about 3% of individuals with CF remain infected with this highly resistant organism. What do we know about the causes of these multidrug-resistant infections? We know that CF individuals are at an increased risk for the development of resistant infections for several different reasons. Contributing factors include innate and adaptive resistant mechanisms of CF pathogens in general, as well as within the CF population, we do see an increased utilization of antimicrobials. And finally, there is the potential for suboptimal use of antimicrobial therapy. More specifically, in the CF airways, Pseudomonas develops a particular mucoid phenotype, as well as an alginate biofilm. And both of these factors contribute to its virulence, as well as increased resistance. CF pathogens also possess intrinsic as well as adaptive and transferable resistant mechanisms, and these really have the potential to affect a class of antimicrobial in terms of being effective for the treatment of those infections. Some particular mechanisms by which antimicrobial classes may become less effective include inactivating enzymes such as the production of beta-lactamases, the development of efflux pumps making classes of antimicrobials ineffective, and then finally, mutational changes, which modify the targets of drug therapy and, again, making classes of antimicrobials ineffective for treatment. Are there patient-specific risk factors for the development of MDR pseudomonas? Dr. Orman? Bob, we know from epidemiologic studies of CF that there's an association between multidrug-resistant pseudomonas and certain patient characteristics. Things like frequent use of systemic or oral antibiotics is a risk factor. Comorbid conditions such as CF-related diabetes are also associated with the development of multidrug-resistant pseudomonas. And again, long-term or chronic use of inhaled antimicrobials such as tobramycin can lead to, or at least is associated with, the presence of multidrug-resistant pseudomonas. And then finally, frequent hospitalizations for pulmonary exacerbations with the use of intravenous antimicrobials is very clearly associated with the presence of multidrug-resistant pseudomonas. The patient you presented, doctor, he's got a history of chronic multidrug-resistant pseudomonas. What management strategies should a clinician consider? As we've already talked about, management of multidrug-resistant pseudomonas is a clinical challenge. Historically, the choice of antibiotics that are used has been based on laboratory susceptibility testing. We now know that this model may be less applicable to treating multidrug-resistant organisms such as pseudomonas than it is for non-resistant bacteria. Something to remember is that individual historical response to specific treatment regimens may be more important than laboratory susceptibility test results for multidrug-resistant organisms. Additionally, treatment may require the use of broad-spectrum antibiotics not typically used. These could include colistomethate, carbapenems, and novel combination agents such as ceftazidime, abibactam, 
ceftolazine, tazobactam. Additionally, use of nebulized agents will result in significantly higher concentrations of antibiotic in the airway surface liquid where it actually functions. The use of continuous alternating antibiotic therapy incorporating as trianam and tobramycin should be considered. Optimization of therapy using pharmacodynamics, including targeting specific area under the curve exposure and maximum or peak concentrations, and the use of extended or continuous infusions for time-dependent antibiotics may also be a benefit. Avoiding or or at least mitigating the development of resistant pathogens. Uh, Dr. Elson, what can healthcare providers do? Healthcare providers should really ensure that they have incorporated some form of antimicrobial stewardship to ensure that appropriate use of antimicrobials is occurring in their hospital setting or as well as CF care centers. In addition, as we've already discussed, optimization of systemic as well as nebulized antimicrobial therapy is really essential to ensure adequate treatment as well as mitigate the development of resistance. And finally, all care providers that are participating in CF care should practice and observe infection prevention and control strategies and guidelines. Our thanks to both of you doctors for today's cases and discussion. Uh, Dr. Orman, I've got one more question and it's future-oriented. Which areas of research do you see as most important to improving the management of multidrug-resistant lung infections in people with cystic fibrosis? Doctor? Bob, there are a couple of areas in which there's a compelling need for additional clinical trials. First, we need clinical trials of standardized therapy of pulmonary exacerbations. This will hopefully lead to more evidence-based guidelines for the management of these exacerbations in general, as well as more specifically, exacerbations that are caused by multidrug-resistant organism infections. Second, I think we really need to explore novel therapeutic strategies for initial and chronic infection. This might include new antibiotics as well as non-antimicrobial approaches, and these offer really exciting promise to more effectively treat challenging infections. And finally, I think we need continued advancement in the setting of CFTR modulator therapy and how CFTR modulator therapy will ultimately affect CF lung microbiome and hopefully improve clinical outcomes in people with CF. Thank you for sharing your insights, Dr. Orman. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing today's key takeaways as they relate to our learning objectives. So to begin, the prevalence of resistant infections in people with CF and the clinical consequences of those infections. Dr. Elson? So as we've discussed, the prevalence of multidrug-resistant infections in individuals with CS is really a critical issue. The prevalence of these inherently resistant pathogens continues to increase. As we've already demonstrated, up to 18% of individuals with CS are infected with a multidrug-resistant strain of Pseudomonas. We know that these types of infections are associated with poor outcomes in the CF population. This includes increased morbidity, such as increased pulmonary exacerbations, increased antibiotic use, as well as decreasing pulmonary function. And we also know that these types of infections are associated with increased mortality in certain populations, including lung transplant recipients. And our second learning objective, potential treatment strategies for the management of resistant infections in people with CF. The management of these multidrug-resistant infections in CF requires a comprehensive approach, including the development of new antibiotics and to optimize the therapies that we have. Specific approaches may include a pharmacodynamic optimization, pharmacokinetic monitoring, and consideration for chronic suppressive therapy. The development of non-antimicrobial therapies is also really exciting and offers a lot of promise to manage these infections. 
again, utilizing a comprehensive and integrative approach is what is going to allow the most success in healthcare providers in treatment of multidrug-resistant infections. Dr. Claire Elson from the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Pharmacy. Dr. Christopher Arman from the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Medicine. Thank you both for participating in this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Thanks, Bob. It was a pleasure to be here today. Thanks, Bob. For E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org forward slash test. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. This activity has been developed for the CF care team, including pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive E-Cystic Fibrosis Review via email, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, AbbVie Incorporated, and Chiesi USA Incorporated. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. <laughs>